Bradley Tusk, host of Firewall. This is the fourth installment of our year-end series. Uh, for those of you who have been listening, as you know by now, each episode focuses on an area of deep interest to me as an investor, as a strategist, sometimes even as an engaged citizen. This episode, we're going to talk about sustainability. My guest is Jason Jacobs, who runs a group called My Climate Journey. Jason's a really interesting guy. Uh, he was a tech entrepreneur, and he had kind of a conversion of sorts. And he looked at the climate situation, and he felt the way we all feel, dread, foreboding. And like all of us, he said, what can I do to help? But then he actually did something. He started a group called My Climate Journey. And it's not an activist group. He's not an engineer. He's not a scientist. He's simply trying to learn as much as he possibly can about climate change and provide all of that information to people so that they understand what's going on they can make rational decisions, and whether those decisions are on the political side, the innovation and technology side, the financing side, um, he is making all of that a lot more feasible um, by the group that he's put together and the information he's put together. So we're going to talk to Jason, and I wanted to just quickly offer my own view uh, of climate sustainability. Um, three thoughts. You know, the first is I think we have to stop talking about saving the planet. Earth existed before humans ever showed up. Earth is going to be here long after we're gone. And I just don't think that most people care that much about the planet in and of itself to change their behavior. Sure, if you ask them a polling question, do you care about the planet, people will say yes. But if it's do you care about the planet at the expense of no longer having air conditioning or a TV, uh, their view would change pretty quickly. So we've got to reframe in talking about ourselves, about people. You know, Mother Earth is going to be here with or without us, but human beings may not be. And either we care enough for our own benefit uh, to keep going, or we don't. Um, and, and that should be the way that, that it unites us. And look, one day when things get bad enough, it will, but hopefully we can do that a little faster. Um, the second thing is this, which is this is not going to get solved through political change. You know, We did an episode a couple of weeks ago with Hugo and Bob about the, the summit uh, in Glasgow and kind of how ineffective it was. Um, and that's how every climate conference is. There's tons of media, there's tons of attendees, tons of private jets flying in. Um, and, and all they really ever do is say, we agree that we should have a plan to do something. The way we're going to solve climate is by inventing technology that can do things like remove carbon from the atmosphere and sequester underground, find more ways to absorb CO2, things like that, find less ways to expend fossil fuels. Um, there's always a role for politics, of course, uh, but I think fundamentally, for those of us waiting for politicians to save the day, um, it's never going to happen. But with that said, and this is the third thing, I, I do think that ultimately we're going to be okay because I do believe in technology. I do believe in human ingenuity. Um, I, I see just in my day job as a venture capitalist, people pitching me new ideas and new technologies every day. We don't do a lot of climate investing specifically, uh, but uh, when, you, when we do talk to people who are in the space, uh, the ideas they have are, are really impressive. And I think that if we give them the support that they need, the funding they need, um, and just use the, the US financial system, the venture capital system, all of our infrastructure, the right technologies will be developed they will gain proof of concept that will eventually gain them political support. It can be deployed at scale, and we could do something about this problem. So, look, am I terrified about this? Yes. Is it one of the two great existential risks we face as, as a species? Yes, absolutely. But I do think that there's also hope as well. And I think this conversation with Jason is, is a good beginning into that. So thanks for listening.
Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, joining me today is Jason Jacobs, who is an entrepreneur, a, a podcaster, a sustainability expert, um, and, and he's going to be talking to us about both kind of how sustainability and climate issues change and evolve during COVID and kind of where things are heading now. And obviously, given what just happened in Scotland, pretty perfect timing here. So Jason, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, really appreciate it. So just just quickly, let's run the audience through your background so they know that you know what you're talking about. So y- y- you start off kind of creating RunKeeper, which is you know a fitness app. Um, you sell it to ASICs, congratulations. And then kind of how do you move from there into climate? I'm three years into focusing on climate full time. And essentially on the front end, I just you know, had a bumpy ride with RunKeeper and was very fortunate to land the plane and have a good outcome for, you know, for shareholders and for the team and, and life-changing for me and my family and just knew how much luck and privilege and timing went into that, felt a duty to uh, make my next chapter about purpose to just try to give back uh, and couldn't think of a problem I was more concerned about than climate, uh, but really didn't have a lot of background in it, uh, in the, the nature of the problem, in the best ways to address it, and certainly not how my skills were transferable. So three years ago, just kind of came in as a learner, and it's been a very organic process over the last few years. Started just by talking to the smartest people I could find that were focused on it from different angles, from a wide range of backgrounds, industries, geographies, functions, uh, perspectives, um, reading a bunch. Those people said, keep me posted on your progress, started sending out uh, regular Uh, email updates once a month, just on the ground I was covering, what I was learning, questions I had, areas I was looking to tackle next. Uh, After a while of that, uh, the audience, you know, more and more introductions every time I've sent out another newsletter and people from my old Silicon Valley tech life started reaching out increasingly and feeling similarly. And here I was having all these great discussions, but none of that knowledge was getting transferred. So essentially started a podcast a couple of years ago called My Climate Journey just to record the discussions I was already having, mm-hmm. kicking out a couple episodes a week. I've done hundreds at this point. Inbox started filling up with people uh, binging on the show and they were strategic people and came from diverse backgrounds. They didn't know each other, set up a Slack community. That's kind of taken on a life of its own. A bunch of companies got started in there, nonprofits. Um, hiring gets done, companies raise money, meetups all over the world, all climate related, uh, and then started writing little angel checks as another way to learn and now uh, have a fund and back 40 of the best climate tech companies across uh, sectors and stages over the last 12 months, the fir- our first year in business. Yeah, congrats. That's, that's pretty exciting. So then g- give me, just because it's just happened, give me your take on Scotland. Did, did anything meaningful get done? And if so, why? And if not, what happens next? Whenever these events come about, it, it, it feels like it's, it's good to put it front and center. It's good to grind through it. Uh, it. It feels like there's more and more attention around it. And we're getting closer each time. Uh, I mean, I'm no wonk in terms of, uh, you know, specifically what elements of the policies and what elements of the agreements and the collaboration and the, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm not your guy. Um, but, uh, but, but for my seat, it, it feels like in each area, whether it's a policy area, whether it's an innovation area, whether it's a capitalism area, whether it's a uh, you know breakthrough technologies, whether it's academia, whether it's journalism and storytelling, whether it's nonprofits and philanthropy, like each one feels daunting in its own right, but each one is getting pushed on. And at the same time, 
each one feeds off each other. So the more progress we make with one, the more likely it is we can make progress with another. And the same way there's negative feedback loops, there's positive feedback loops. So you know, I don't claim to be an expert in any of these sectors or any of these areas, but I'm just trying to get more pushing on, on all of them. And that's kind of the weird little angle that I and that my climate journey have, have found. So I'm encouraged, I'm optimistic. I get up every day pushing harder and, and it feels like we're making progress in each, but we've got, got a steep mountain to climb. Yeah. Um, COVID. Good. If, if, if you're a climate change advocate, which I guess, other than the people who still refuse to acknowledge it, I guess everybody is on some level or another. Um, what was COVID like uh, for climate change? Was it positive because everyone was kind of stuck at home? Was it negative, neutral? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think we're, we're all still close to it to really, uh, to really ha- have a clear view. But I, I know, I mean, initially when the world shut down, it was like a little taste of, oh, I mean, all these things people say are never possible in terms of clean air and less congestion and more walkable cities and all that stuff. It's like, hey, look, like right, just this happened. is a little taste of what it could be. Um, yeah. And I think that opened a lot of people's eyes. Um, but in terms of the actual emissions reductions, like it didn't do anything. I mean, it may be in the short term, right? But that all comes back. Uh, and um, I also think it's, it's interesting in terms of the systems nature of the problem, right? And the, the, the collective good and the, you know, wear your mask to protect others, not, not to protect, you know, some of that stuff. It was really interesting just to see how people respond and adapt and also how different it is in different parts of the world. Uh, and in that respect, I think there's a lot of parallels to solving the climate crisis. Um, there are some differences though, because COVID at the end of the day, like I am acutely scared for me and my health and that of my family for climate. It, it feels still, even with the wildfires and the flooding and the famine and the hurricanes and tornadoes and sea level rise, it, it still, it feels a little more theoretical still. Um, and it's not, right? But it just plays out over longer time horizons and in a way that's not quite as as tangible to each individual, right? And I think that makes it really difficult to address. Um, and and that, that's probably one of the big barriers to doing what needs to be done because we know what to do, right? It's it, But but there's still barriers to doing it because it, it it's not as... Um, obviously in my self-interest and your self-interest and each person's self-interest to take action. And in some cases it, it uh, is actually detrimental to my self-interest to take action that, that benefits the collective good, which to your point before is a, that that's a tough one to, to, to get people to rally around. So in, in parts, let's just keep this to the U S for this question in parts of the U S that have experienced significant climate events, like flooding or hurricanes that are in jurisdictions that tend to be, a lot less open to addressing climate change. Um, why haven't those events and people experiencing them firsthand caused a change in the politics uh, to then make it in the interest of, you know, a Republican congressman or senator or whoever to say, hey, I, I need to be for this now? Well, I think back to your COVID question, when when you look at the vaccines and the this, the um, the, the number of cases and the number of hospitalizations in the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, for example, yeah. right? It's clear that even though you can find cases where the vaccine caused weird uh, medical conditions or things like that for a very small subset of people, overall, it's a very good thing, right? But there's still a significant chunk of the population that 
is super skeptical of it, that that thinks it's a global conspiracy, that think there's yeah. microchips involved, it, all kinds of crazy things, right? And and that is kind of symptomatic of just somehow where we've gotten. And I don't know if it's social media. I don't know if it's uh, our education system. I don't know if it's uh, I, I don't I don't. It's probably some combination of of a bunch of things. But it's just this lack of trust in our our systems that that's really scary to me. And that has implications for climate. It has implications for COVID, but it has implications for a lot of other things as yeah. well. And it, it, it feels almost like, like, uh, like, uh, one of the biggest risks we have is actually that versus any of the other risks, right? Because that, that makes all the other risks worse. Right. We, if we live in a world of constant misinformation and polarization and dysfunction, uh, and that makes it politically impossible to get solutions on anything, in some ways, that's actually what dooms us more than anything else, right? Um, because I, I guess, look, if I gave you a magic wand and said, okay, Jason, you're emperor, just fix climate change, uh, what would you do? I, I, would, I would somehow uh, get people, regardless of their station, whether they're uh, you know, a, a postal worker or a grocery worker or the head of a coal company or whatever, I would get them aligned around the uh, urgency, the stakes, and uh, um, and 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 then hopefully uh, then work through the details. But to find a way to transition that can pick people up along the way and also tread the balance between like, look, if we ripped fossil fuels out tomorrow, right? A lot of people would suffer, and it's the people that that um, in, in in often cases uh, um, contributed the least to the problem and have the least resources to uh, uh, to to adapt. For example, there's over a billion people that don't have access to basic electricity. So, so it's not just about carbon, right? It's more complicated than that. But I think that what hinders it is a lack of trust of the system and uh, and also this misinformation that that that's flying around. So if we could somehow instill trust. And um, education uh, in a uniform way, I think that would be a basis to then debate the solutions. But but today we can't even debate the solutions because we can't agree on the facts. Right. So so given that problem, uh, and given that you've made forty investments in different kind of climate tech companies, uh, I I would argue that technology really has to be the solution. Uh, to most of of how we address climate change as opposed to politics, just because one thing can advance and one thing has a hard time for all the reasons we just discussed. Um, what are you excited about of the 40 companies in your portfolio? And ultimately, if if uh, 100 years from now, someone's writing the book on how human beings effectively dealt with climate change and mitigated it, what were the technologies that were responsible for that? Uh, yeah, I mean, some... Some investors, and one I'm thinking of in particular, uh, will say things like, there's 14 technologies that matter, and if you give me 14 brilliant entrepreneurs, then I'll solve climate change. Uh, I I, I really don't believe that, and Mm -hmm. I find that line of thinking detrimental to the cause. For me, it's like our whole global economy is... uh, has been wired uh, in, in an amazing way, right? The industrial revolution, there's all this good that came from it, but it was it was built without factoring in the ex- externalities. And so essentially we're dumping uh, the, the, these emissions into the sky as essentially a, a trash dump. And there's just no consequence whether we dump a little, a medium amount, 
a ton, whether we clean it up, whether we don't clean it up, whether we're cognizant about what we're putting up there, like none of that matters, right? And, uh, and so we've got to fix that, but we've got to fix that sector by sector, industry by industry, geography by geography, and we need to do it in a way that makes sure that people have jobs and people have food and people have water and people have a p housing and shelter and, uh, um, a, a, and on and on. Uh, and, and so that's not this technology or that technology, it's like, we're gonna need so much because we have to rewire everything. Um, and and same thing on the policy side, we're gonna need federal policy, we need local policy, we need international collaboration. So yeah, we're investing and we're writing a bunch of checks, but for us, we it's like long tail, right? We just, we find great teams focused on areas that are meaningful for accelerating this transition, but that could take such a wide form. That could be carbon markets, that could be insurance and resiliency, that could be, uh, oceans that could be pulling carbon out of the sky that could be um, electrifying uh, mo uh, mobility or or tolling RVs that could be CPG um, and you know cleaning up food and ag that could be uh, um, I mean it, 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 it could be so many different things it could be capturing emissions from big semi trucks uh, uh, you know as as the trucks are are, are moving down the highway um, uh, it, it, it could be a lot of things so we we are very wide range. Um, yeah. And we're also not experts in any of these areas. So what we try to do is just tuck little checks in when we find great teams, focus on areas that could be important with unique approaches as validated by smart institutional capital with sector expertise. And where our additionality comes is we just try to be punch above our weight class for help post-investment by customer intros, by helping them solve their problems, by helping them hire, by helping them think about their follow-on funding, by helping them get access to weird niche expertise like how certain policies are written that impact their businesses or or things like that but but that if, if anything take away from my journey that you cannot be an expert and you can have a big impact on on helping with the transition yeah so what yeah. what are the you don't have to name the companies if, if you don't want to but what are the portfolio companies that you're sort of most excited about that you think are kind of furthest along in having technology that can be deployed? Uh, well, I mean, what's interesting is that we, uh, we've we invested a bunch at the earliest stages, but then increasingly we've also been investing in in some that are that are further along, companies like Ar Ar Arcadia, uh, companies like Lilac, companies like Amp Robotics, uh, companies like Level 10 Energy, companies like Crusoe Energy. And if you take Crusoe as, as an example, uh, you know, they're taking what would otherwise be flared natural gas, right? And so you've got all the purists saying, uh, um, uh, you know, now natural gas pipeline should die, right? And it's like, okay, well, in an ideal world, yes, but realistically, we're going to need them for as far as the eye can see. And there's a bunch of emissions that, you know, natural gas that ends up being flared that can get emitted. If we can use that to power um, Bitcoin mining and other data um, yeah. data intensive applications, right? And then again, you've got all the purists saying Bitcoin, it's an energy hog. It's it's like, but Bitcoin's going to happen either way. So we can we can make uh, you know clean choices in terms of how we power it, or or cleaner choices, right? Or we can do the dirtiest, right? And so I think I think for us. We're pragmatists, right? We we know it's there's no path that's going to be pure. There's no path that's going to be squeaky clean. Like uh, from where we sit, everything's got trade-offs. Everything's got consequences, and we're just trying to facilitate progress and put one foot in in, in front of the other. Um, uh, so there's there's too many companies to name um, in across too many different 
aspects, but I think that's also aligns with um, with how we think about addressing the problem. There's no silver bullets. It's not like fusion is going to come along and we do nothing else, right? Like fusion would be a huge breakthrough, but we still need a lot of other things, even if it happens, and we can't rely on it to happen because it may never and it may take a long time. Right. So, yeah. uh, given the community aspect of of, of MCJ and, and and your platform. What are the kind of social norms that need to change where you have, um, you know, people who are involved, you know, on your platform, in your world where they think A, B, C, D, and E, um, but that may be because they're either policy experts or they're Gen Z um, and the rest of society hasn't caught up yet. You know, where do you think that that the biggest changes need to happen? Uh, Well, I mean, I think there's... I think there's just a lack of understanding where you have these stories in the media that are all about, we're screwed. You know, you won't have a place to live. Your house is going to burn down, sea level rise, forced migration, wars, famine, uh, you know, oppressive temperatures, ex- extreme events. Like you're ju- we're just pounded into our brain. Right. And so I think, um, People are trying to go about their day, but they keep, these messages keep getting beaten into their brain and it's depressing and it's anxiety inducing. So what do they do? They try to block it out. And that was me before I came in three years ago. And uh, it was a big source of anxiety for me because I was trying to focus on something else unrelated and then more bad climate news would come out and it would like send me into this tailspin. And I worried actually that if I put the problem front and center, it would be depressing to get up every day. And I think what I found three years in is that if you put it front and center, one, it's like, yeah, the stakes are high. And yeah, like in the short term, at least, uh, you know, over the next like couple decades, let's say, like things are going to get uglier no matter what we do. But at the same time, coming out the other side, there can be a world that has more abundance, more, more equality, uh, you know, higher caliber of life, better health, like all these things. And, and I see it and so much of it we know what to do. And then so many people are working on it from so many different angles. And then the other, so that's one element is just yep. like be an optimist, right? Um, but it doesn't mean be an optimist because someone else has got it and you can just go about what you're doing and forget about it and take your foot off the gas, right? But it means be an optimist because if we work hard, like we can actually will this to happen if we want it badly enough. Um, and then the second piece is um, you, it's like, there is a spot for you, right? Like, but there's a misconception that if you're not, if you don't have a material science PhD or you didn't, you know, grow up uh, um, in the energy world or, uh, or you aren't a policy wonk or you're not, uh, you know, steeped in climate science or something like that, that you can't help. But it's like, no matter where you sit, you can find a way to help you just might need to work at it, right? And so like what I did is I said, I'm just going to start learning and talking to interesting people and then I'll figure out where I fit later. I had the luxury that I didn't need to rely on a paycheck in, for some period of time, which, which most people don't. But even if you do, you can find a way. You can take a portion of your profits from your business that's in an unrelated area and you can donate it to, to, uh, to climate. You can, if, if you have legal expertise, you can offer, you can try to ha- take on clients that have a climate focus. Uh, if, if you, uh, um, if you're great at storytelling, you can work with people and tell climate stories. You can volunteer, you can clean up your own house and set an example. You can advocate with your, with your local government to um, pass policies that will get more houses to get cleaned up across your town or across your city or across your state. Like there's so much you can do. Um, and you just kind of need to follow your passion and see what gives you energy. And it's not just about doing the most impactful thing. It's about doing the thing that aligns with impact and what personally gets you going and what you feel equipped to do. Got it. So given that the state of the world seems to 
turn on a dime these days every 30 minutes like that. It's hard to make predictions or look at a crystal ball. But when you're looking ahead at the next, say, 12 to 24 months, um, what do you think is achievable in terms of making material progress on climate, whether that's from a technological standpoint or a political standpoint? Um, and, and kind of what do you think will happen? Yeah, well, um, there's no – like. I've interviewed hundreds of people and the, by far everyone says like, we need a carbon tax, carbon tax, carbon tax, carbon tax, price on carbon, price on carbon, price on carbon. It's like, will it happen? I don't know. Should it happen? Well, most people want it to happen. Some people uh, say it's a bad idea, but, um, uh, but, um, uh, but, but it, it sure seems like, you know, some price on carbon should happen and ideally as high a one as possible, but I, I'm not pegging my hopes on any one Breakthrough yep. for me, it's just about like top, top of the funnel, like getting people no matter where they sit, whether they're an elected official, whether they're the CEO of a major company, whether they, you know, spent the last five years at a, as a product manager in Silicon Valley, whether they're uh, an activist, whether they're a high school student, whether they're a, a, a recent college graduate trying to figure out where they work, right? Like it's all everything feeds itself, like. If the if the graduates coming out demand from their employers that they won't you know that 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 they're they're not going to work at a company that doesn't take it seriously and lead in this area, well then employers are going to have to shift if they want to be able to continue to hire and there's a talent shortage. Um, if obviously if there's mandates that helps, if there's um, incentives that helps, uh, if there's pressure from their peers that helps, if there's collaboration and knowledge sharing that helps. Like there's, and then the more employers get on board, the more there's a market for solutions because those employers won't be able to do everything themselves and they'll need to work with young companies to solve different aspects of their problems, which will lead to more startups being born, which will lead to more capital pouring in, which will lead to more returns, right? right? So it's like everything feeds itself. So for my seat, it's not like this breakthrough I'm pinning my hopes on or that breakthrough I'm pinning my hopes on. It's like, how do we get more smart people mobilized effectively rowing in this direction? How do we get them collaborating across disciplines? How do we undo blockers? How do we give them tools, resources, capital, um, uh, et cetera, to just try to kind of speed up the, fl the flywheel? But it's more like a flywheel than, than one specific thing. So if I look over the next say a couple years, right? I'm not going to predict like we're going to have a breakthrough here, we're going to break through there, but I'm going to have a, uh, I'm going to predict that the snowball is going to pick up steam as it's coming down the mountain. It might get derailed with, you know, the bottom falling out on the economy, which at some point the music's going to stop. But even then it's going to pick up because it's inevitable. And, and each time it picks up again, it'll pick up from a place that's further along than the one before. Yeah. So you're, sounds like you're, yeah. you're more optimistic than not. And on one hand, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, okay, well, uh, of course, he's an optimist. He's he's investing. He's a uh, an entrepreneur. He's investing in climate tech. Um, you know, this this is his life. So of course he is. But on the other hand, if you're interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people, uh, presumably you've got as good of a window onto this a, a, as anyone. So given that, where do you think we are in fifty or a hundred years? Are we, you know, a third of the population kind of hovering? crunched into a couple of habitable places or have we kind of figured most of this out and life looks like it does today? Oh man. I mean, I, I don't think anyone knows. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's one thing I'll just put out there. Like, even so Jason, in 57 years, we're going to have you back on the podcast and hold you to it. <laughs> so just be careful. Uh, I, I don't think anybody knows, but uh, I, I mean, I think we're starting from, everyone talks about 12 years, 12 years. Right. And, and, and the, 
from what I can gather, you know, with the caveat that like all I've done is talk to hundreds of people and focus on it full time the last three years, but I'm, I'm not an expert. No one's an expert. It's too comprehensive across too many disciplines. There's no one in the world that's an expert because you can't be an expert on something that's this broad, right? You can be an expert on one element of it, or you can be more like what I am, which is like thin and super wide, right? right? right, right, right. Um, yeah. But, um, but I, I would say that one way or another, it's like the planet will be fine and 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 like things will live on the planet directionally over generations right i think the question is just uh you know how bad do things get you know in the short term like this generation and then you know like the next few generations yeah. right um and uh um and we're on a path now where it seems like no matter what we do things are going to get worse in the short term but we're also on a path now where we're making more headway at chipping away at the things we need to do to um uh, to write the ship. I think things are going to get worse. And I think that uh, that's going to continue until it gets acute enough that we realize that, you know, that we really kind of turn the boat and get serious about uh, action. But I also think once we get serious about action, it's going to, the transition is going to happen a lot faster than we predict. So it's going to happen slower, but then once it happens, it will, it's like, it's like slow, 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 then all at once. Like, I feel like that's how it's going to play out, but it's not because of one breakthrough. It's because of all the legwork that we're doing each and every day across all these vectors. Got it. Well, that's a perfect place to wrap up. So, Hey, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. This was incredibly helpful. How can people get involved in the platform, listen to your podcast, just learn more. Yeah, so uh, myclimatejourney.co is the website, or you can just uh, put in My Climate Journey in your favorite uh, podcast listener, so Apple or Spotify or or any of those, uh, or we're just info at myclimatejourney.co if you want to get in touch with us. Cool. Jason Jacobs, thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks a lot for having me.